and welcome back to the Learning Man podcast. My name is Omar Cantu. I'm your host. And today we have a very interesting episode. We're going to be talking to David Lindell and his clever hardwood. Yeah, you heard that right. He is the furniture maker, but he is much more than that. We're also going to be talking a little bit about religion, some of his experiences within the Mormon church. We're going to talk about family. Oh, what a family this guy has. He is one of 12 kids. This is the episode on Clever Hardwood with David Lindell. You are not going to want to miss it. This is The Learning Man. And welcome back to the podcast. This is The Learning Man and... On today's podcast, um, I'm really, really excited to introduce to you. If you have not heard of this guy, uh, you're definitely going to want to check out his stuff. He is an artist. He is a creator. He is a furniture maker. He is a he's a, a YouTuber and uh, and a content you know content creator. This guy does it all, um, but he does it with a little flair. And uh, his he's a furniture maker. His name is David Lindell. And he's a furniture maker with uh, Lucky Rooster Company uh, out of Southern Utah. Um, But everything he makes is absolutely insane. It is crazy. It is is over the top. It is beautiful. It is functional. But everything has a puzzle to it. So... You know, you open up, uh, you, you have to get a key to open up a lock, to open up a drawer, to get into the secret drawer, to the, and it, it's like, it's, it's, it's like Rude Goldberg meets furniture and it is fantastic and it is clever and it is hardwood. And that's what this episode is going to be about. It's going to be about clever hardwood. So today I'd like to introduce you to Mr. David Lindell. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I've been I've been following you for a while and uh, your content is just absolutely insane. It is. It's. It's so cool. Like, I love the stuff that you do. And I wanted to get you on the on the podcast because, you know, I mean, there's it's one thing to be a craftsman, right? It's the it's one thing to be a craftsman and to uh, to be, you know, you know, it's the manly thing to do to, you know, to be Nick Offerman and chop down a tree and then make a, you know, make a, make make, a uh, yeah, yeah. Make a, a, a bench out of it or something like that. You know, old, old world tools from like, you know, the turn of the century and stuff, but it's a totally different set of skills to be able to make it clever. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a delicate, a balance of confusing somebody delightfully. I mean, obviously you got the woodworking, but then making it a challenge. I mean, all I do really, if you look at it, is all I do is make drawers very complicated to get into. <laughs> That's all I do. And if you do it in the right way, it really, it's, it's really satisfying for people to be able to figure it out and to, you know, follow the little puzzle to get into the drawer that honestly could have just been pulled open had it not had the weird puzzle on the front of it. So right. Yeah, well, it's all I do to make things complicated in a delightful way. Well, it's uh, it's definitely a theft deterrent, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Except for, I always have people when they buy stuff, they're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna hide all my valuables in here and this and this and this." And I'm like, "You know the video you contacted me on that has millions of views? There's a lot of people that know how to get into that table." And they're <laughs> like, "Oh, yeah, I guess that's true." I'm like, "Yeah, you know it's." And here's another thing. They always go and show all their friends once they get the table. And I'm just like, right. Theft deterrent, maybe not, but maybe more of a novelty to have in the center of your front room. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and does, so does every piece that you make, does it have its own kind of like puzzle to it? Or are there like, are there kind of like drawings that you kind of like came up with that you base and then you have like different models that have different kind of like different, I guess, puzzles to it? Yeah. I mean, I, so, I mean, it's all about building on the last thing I built, you know, like I'll figure out a a tricky way to do something. And then on the next table, I'll try to incorporate that and add something more to it. 
Um, so not all of them have tricky puzzles to get into them. Some of the custom pieces, um, the clients don't want that kind of thing on there, but all the ones I really enjoy building too. So, yeah. Very cool. So how did you get into this, man? Like, like, I mean, this is not something that you kind of, you know, as a kid, you know, in, you know, us history in seventh grade decide, you know, I want to be, I want to be a furniture maker and make my drawers as difficult as possible to get into. How did you, how did you decide to do that? Well, in high school, um, it's funny you mentioned that in seventh grade. Now in high school, you know how you have to go and do the job shadow where you go and job shadow somebody and write a big report. And then they, they, like the school counselor sits down with you and talks to you about your career goals and whatnot. I couldn't figure out anyone that I wanted to job shadow. And so my next door neighbor at the time used to build uh, he was a potter. He would make pots. And I just thought it was so cool that he could turn a lump of clay into a pot and then sell it for, and he, you know, he would tell you all the statistics of, you know, you start with a $15 bag of clay and you turn it into $500 in pots and blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was just amazing that he did that with his hands. And so I job shadowed him and I turned in the paper and the counselor sat down and basically not yelled at me, but she told me that that was not an acceptable career. That was not something that was going to be viable, that I wouldn't be able to support my family, that I'd have to go and job shadow somebody else. And I was like, I'm not going to job shadow somebody else. So it's funny that you mentioned that back in seventh grade. I've always known I didn't want to work for the man. I didn't want to work at an office desk. I didn't want to, I I wanted to do something with my hands and I wanted to create something that was going to last. There's right. just something satisfying about that. Yeah. Just knowing that once you're done and you're putting that final lacquer on that piece, that that yeah. damn furniture, I mean, that that damn piece that you just slaved over is going to last a lifetime. Exactly. Well, and there's the chance, you know, I before I figured out that I was going to be doing woodworking, I was trying all sorts of careers. I tried going to school for mechanical engineering, and I love building stuff. I've always loved building stuff. But the actual jobs that are available in mechanical engineering is they're, you're not actually creating anything. You're fixing somebody else's creation or you've got some small piece of a project that is just, it wasn't, just, so I job shadowed when I was in college. I job shadowed some mechanical engineers and the job was just, it wasn't what I was looking for. And so I got out of that, went into real estate hated my life, but I was making good money. And I was talking to a friend of mine. This is how I got into woodworking. I I was talking to a friend of mine. She came over and she's like, hey, my husband's birthday is in two months. I really want to get him something special. Do you want to make me a coffee table? And I'm like, what? I've never touched wood in my life. You know, I've never done any woodworking. She and she's, you got to know her, but she's very pushy. She's one of my favorite people in the world. She's very pushy. She convinced me to build a coffee table, even though I've never built anything out of wood. And I built it. How long ago was this? This was in 2014, 15. You've come an incredibly long way in a short amount of time. Wow. Yeah, I I look back at that table every time I go to visit them, and I'm just like, I knew nothing about woodworking. Yeah. Poor table. Uh, but yeah, that's how I got started. She pushed me into it and it just, ever since I've just really, it, I, I saw a lot of satisfaction out of it. A lot of people liked it and I, I, I don't even think I ever posted the video of that table because it's just, the woodworking quality is so low. Yeah. I don't know why they even still have it in their front room, but that was my first one. And every- Well, no, now what you need to do is you need to, now that you're making money off of what you love to do, you need to go back and buy it back. <laughs> I told him that one. And, and then put it, put it in back. your, yeah, put it in your damn office is what you should do. Put it in my office just to remind myself where I started. Or even better, take the table, cut it in half, <laughs> and then put the crappy, crappy side on one side and the other side is going to be like, you're like, your badass woodworking and then put the two of them together. Put it together and just sit it in the front room. That'd yeah. Be awesome. That'd that would be, be awesome. cool, man. I, and see, 
I thought I was like, man, this guy's a craftsman. Like this guy learned from the old world. Like, you know, he, he learned from his grandpa or something. He took, he took it even took working in high school. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was. That's exactly what I was going to say next is like, you know, he at least took high school and working. I literally went from being a real estate agent and absolutely hating my life to having a friend of mine basically forced me into building a coffee table. And that's where I started, 2015, 2014, 15. I can't remember which year it was. And it's completely changed your life. Yeah, that took off. It didn't take off for a couple of years. I mean, I, I did it, and every so often I'd show people the table, you know, a video or a picture of it. They're like, dude, that's amazing. I want one. And then I had a guy come up to me. He's like, dude, I'll trade you anything you want for one of those tables. And so I built him one. And that video, I went home and posted it, and it got like 2,000 views in like two hours. And I was like, holy crap. There's a niche here. That's the video that actually kicked off. Really? So then what did you, what did you, like, what did you trade for? I traded for a gun. I didn't even want the gun. It was just a little old revolver, but I was just, you know, I, I have guns, but I'm not super big into shooting because it's just so expensive. And anyway, yeah. story short, I was just so, uh, I don't know what the word is, tickled or yeah. uh, that he wanted something of mine so bad that he would trade anything for it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to build one. I'll build it. You know, I love building stuff anyways. I'll build it. And uh, so, yeah, I did. That's incredible. That's incredible, man. And so like, so now, I mean, you're, you're, you're essentially doing what you love, right? You're, 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 you're earning a living from it. You are, you know, you are, you know, you're, you're climbing the rankers as an influencer within your, within your, your niche, right? Within your space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, now, I mean, you got, you got young men that are, that are looking, that are interested in the same thing, doing papers for school about the career that they want to pick and they're showing your stuff off. I get people, all our kids all the time in high schools and they're, they all is for some reason it's always from Australia and they have their class project they have to do for their, like for the year. And they always want to do one of my tables. And, uh, I've always, you know, sort of helped them out, sent them little drawings and sketches and whatnot. The other day, I had some, one of them send me back a video of the table he had built, and he had built it perfectly. He had done way better than I'd even done. Like, really? he made just a masterpiece. And I was like, "Huh, he's gonna put me out of business." Like that. <laughs> I absolutely kicked my trash making my own design, and I was just so impressed. I'm just glad he's in Australia, so he <laughs> can't. <laughs> take all my competition over here but well, you, now you need to recruit him to come work for you i know i need to get a bigger shop that would be really it would really free up a lot of time if i could because here's the problem to make money doing this you have to build a couple of them at once you know right and so it sort of takes all my time building the same table and you know, space time, time and space and i can't move on to the next project because i've got stacks of designs that i would love to get started on but each one of them is going to take two or three months just to get right the first one. And then, you know, to make money, then you can make the other 10 that are exactly the same really quick. Right. But I said it takes up all your space, takes up all your time. So if I had a little army of people that enjoyed woodworking and knew what they were doing and I could trust them to, you know, get it right, um, that would really free up some time. Man. Make a lot more creations possible. But it's but you're not only just doing the woodwork, right? Like you are also making the locks, and you are making the metalwork and the inlays, and I mean, like yeah, there's there's not really a lot. Of, I mean, if you go to the hardware store, you can get some hinges and you can get some locks, but they're all very they don't really fit. I mean, if you're trying to make a puzzle or something like that, you really have to get creative. I've learned um, metalworking, and I've learned you know, a lot of, uh, obviously woodworking and even a little bit of electrical, like learning how to put locks together and, uh, mm-hmm. the electrical locks and whatnot. But yeah, it's, you have to know a lot of odd, uh, skills to do it. That's so cool, man. That is, that's incredible. 
so fun. It's so fun. So, okay. So, so here it is, you know, you, you know, it's a career that is very blue collar that when you just, when you said, Hey, to your, to your guidance counselor, this is what I want to do. The numbers make sense. You know, he's, this guy, this guy is taking the, you know, the guy that you made, you, you wrote your paper on, he's taking $15 and turning it into $500. He's, he's a craftsman. He knows what he's doing. He, he's able to, you know, play in the, play in the mud literally every day and have fun and, and, and be creative. And then she goes off and she tells you it's, you know, why are you, why do you just want to be blue collar when you need to put to game, put together a game plan to be white collar, to be an engineer, to be a, whatever it is. And like, now you're doing great. I mean, you, you basically proved her wrong. I mean, like how, like, what would be the advice that you would, you would, you would tell, you know, the young David, at that point, you know, knowing now, knowing what you know now, I would tell myself to buy Bitcoin. But <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest, yeah. no, I, uh, I, what, what would I tell myself? I would probably tell myself, line it completely out and say, this is what you got to do. This is, you know, so I, I, that's not my whole business plan. My business plan is a little bit more. Uh, I'm not going to say complex, but it's a little bit more risky. My my ultimate goal is to gain a following from my woodworking, so that because I write books, okay, so that when I actually finish publishing my books, they're written. I'm just working on getting them published, edited, and stuff. I'll have a uh, like a, a, a somebody to sell it to. You know what I mean? That's right. the number one problem that's that, gain that, an audience. Yeah, that, uh, that write books. There's so many great books out there, but they don't have an audience to sell. So that's my ultimate goal. But and that's why a lot of my tables are themed, you know, fantasy or pirates right. or whatever. Um, but what I would tell myself is, I would I would just line it out and be like, hey, you you love telling stories, you love building stuff with your hands. Just do that. Just do it. And if you know, I always tell people like my brother's an artist, and he's just barely getting into it. And I'm just like, look, here's the deal. If you love something and you truly love something and you enjoy doing it every day, the internet is full of other people who are going to love that exact same thing. You're not alone. You're, I mean, you might not know anyone personally that loves what you love and enjoys what you enjoy. But if you post it on the internet, if you go through, you know, if you take the internet as a resource of reaching out and grabbing people, you can gain an audience no matter what it is. As long as you truly enjoy it, there's an audience for you. Right. You're not, you're not unique. Other people are going to love the same thing you love. So, and that's really where the table building tables took off is when I started putting it online and finding the clients that are on the East Coast and West Coast and, you know, across the, the big old pond and whatnot. But so, wow. yeah, that's what I would tell them. I would just tell them, uh, if you enjoy doing it, somebody else is going to enjoy as as much as you. So that's great, and that that is actually a really great segue. Um, you know, to you know, because one of the things I like to do on the show is I, I like to kind of you know dig deep, look at the timeline, look look at what makes us us right, and 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 as men, and then also like wh- how how is that going to impact the men that we're going to be tomorrow right so like what was your like what was your childhood like like what was what was you know growing up and stuff i mean did you because it kind of sounds like it kind of sounds like there was almost like a level of doubt that you were going to find other people that were into the same types of things that you are into um yeah so i i'm number nine of 12 kids (laughs) oh wow a massive family um and we didn't necessarily grow up rich so a lot of the times that's a lot of potato salad that's a lot of oh my mom makes great potato salad (laughs) oh uh we uh there's a lot of times we had to entertain ourselves and i'm a little bit of an oddball even with that many you know brothers and sisters i you know i didn't like the same things they liked and i didn't like doing the same stuff they did but 
worrying that somebody would like what I was doing. My biggest worry was actually being able to do something I liked and be able to make money on it. That yeah. was my biggest worry. Yeah. You know, um, and I didn't know what that was going to be until literally what, 2014, 2015. Before then, I was just looking at how do I make money and have enough time and money to do what I want on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So, which is build stuff. Which is build stuff. And then I figured out how to turn that into a business. So, that's great. Very cool. And so, like, growing up, I mean, I, I'm one out of three, right? So, like, I have no idea what that's like, you know, and, and I'm also the oldest. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably you know. a spectrum over there, but. Yeah. So what is that? What is that like growing up with that many siblings? Yeah, it was a circus. There's a lot of kids. And not only that, then when you, when I got about to be like 10 or 12, then my older siblings were having kids and those kids were coming over. And so there was always nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and neighbor kids. It was hectic. There's a lot of kids. It's just craziness all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so... Kids. Did you ever feel like, I mean, did you ever feel like you had to do something that was completely different, like something completely oddball or quirky or, you know, quote unquote clever to be able to like almost, you know, stand out a little bit to yeah. get, I guess, maybe recognition or even get noticed in the room? Uh, I was, I was never trying to get attention. When I was a kid. I was the shy one in the corner. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't like to be in the center of attention and with how many kids there were, it wasn't hard to not be the center of attention. So, right. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, I loved it. I would never trade my childhood for anything, just especially with the town I grew up in where it's sort of in the country and we were always down at the Creek or up in the Hills, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. So out in the, out in the country, 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 out in the boondocks kind of mm -hmm. upbringing. And you're from, I mean, you're from right around the corner from like Zion, right? And like that whole yeah. area. Right outside of Zion National Park. So. And is that, is that where you grew up as well? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. That's, I mean, that's, that's gorgeous to have that in your backyard as well. Yeah. I never realized how pretty it was until I went to other places and I was like, Oh, they don't have mesas and big sandstone hills and, you know, all these creeks and cliffs and mountains and trees and stuff. And I was yeah. Like, huh, yeah, it is pretty where I'm from. Took yeah. leaving. Shit. Yeah. Sh shit. Come down to where, you know, where I'm from. My, my hometown is a really small town and it's, uh, it's called Falfurious, Falfurious, Texas, um, population like 5,000, like in the middle of, of, you know, in the middle of basically it's kind of like a desert area where everything is flat. Uh, yeah. Everything is super flat. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's super Sandy and everything out there will try to kill you. So like I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking the trees have, have barbs on them. Like the, uh, you know, the, the cactus have, you know, two inch needles. I mean, it's just like everything. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, yeah javelinas they 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 travel in packs and try to tear you up. Like it's everything out there is trying to kill you. Yeah, well, almost like Australia then, huh? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I'd say from like San Antonio, San Antonio down to where I'm from, the road just feels like a conveyor belt because it's so flat. Yeah. It's I hate those roads where you can see where you're going to be in 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Fine, <laughs> and you're like, ah, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, all you see is the, you know, the waving of the wavy, the wavy haze on the on the on the top of the road, okay. you know, just kind yeah. of like just waiting for you and <laughs> to drive through it, you know. Yeah, it's exactly it. That's so that's cool, man. So, okay, so so you've you know you you. You grew up in a, in in kind of like a household of of nine kids. Um, the older, the I old, was number. Nine. Oh yeah, so you were number nine, eight. So eight siblings. No, you know, no, eleven siblings. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of us. I was number nine of twelve. Oh, you were number nine of twelve. Yeah, man, it's 
Southern Utah, I'm telling you, they all got a bunch of kids here. Man, y'all, it was like they, they needed ranch hands or something over there. <laughs> Somebody has to pick the pick the garden and yeah, all the stuff. Yeah. My That's parents, cool. the funny thing is they planned on having 12 kids too. Seriously. From the very beginning, it wasn't an accident. They did it on purpose. So I'm not quite sure how uh, sane they were, but. So, and that's Utah. I mean, uh, is, are you, are you Mormon or? My, my family is. Your family yeah. is. Okay. I was raised LDS, but I'm not, I'm not really into the religion thing. So. Okay. Gotcha. What was that? I mean, what's that, what's that upbringing like? I mean, did you, did you go, did you do your missionary and all that kind of, you know, that your is a missionary or mission trip or all that stuff too? Mission. I went on the mission. I went to Spain, Madrid, Spain. For two years. That's amazing. It was amazing because it was the first time I'd left Southern Utah. And so I went from being super sheltered, you know, even what's on TV here is very, very sheltered. And then you go somewhere like Spain where they have, if it's a swimming pool, it's a nudist swimming pool. And so it was just like culture shock to the max. And it was like, whoa, huh. So whoa, that's sort people- of when I started to open up and I was like, okay, like maybe, maybe Southern Utah isn't. Uh, yeah, like these, you know, not everybody is as prude as the United States about about the, the human yeah. form. Yeah, I think I think the thing that really shook me was because there's a lot of Muslims over in Spain. And growing up, if you've ever grown up in somewhere that's super sheltered, uh, religiously sheltered, you almost get the sense that everybody else knows that they're wrong and that they know that. Like they know that they're not in the true religion. Does that make sense? That's a weird concept, and I can only say that you would have it if you've grown up in that sheltered. Mm-hmm. And then you go somewhere else, and I, you know, run into these Muslims pe- people, and they were just amazing people, and they believe their religion as much as I believe my religion. And then you go to the Catholics and the, you know, the Baptists and all the, and you're like, they have just as much faith in their stuff that I have in my, and it really like shook me. I was like, whoa wait a minute. Not everybody can be right. You yeah. know, I was looking into it and I was like, Oh, okay. But that's yeah. so, that's it so was, cool. It's it so good to get out of the, you know, to absolutely immerse yourself, learn a different language, learn a different culture in Spain. There's many different cultures. So you have to learn a bunch of different ones depending on where you live. But, and you were, was, you were, you were in Madrid. I was, so I went all the way from Madrid was the missions called uh, Spain, Madrid. But it goes all the way from like Ciudad Real all the way up to Valladolid. It's all the center part of Spain. And there's just vast differences in cultures depending on which city you're in. Lots of uh, immigrants over there, mm-hmm. Romanians and um, tons of South Americans, and tons of Africans. Met I think every single country in Africa, I met somebody from each one of them. Um, wow. Yeah, super. So that's, I mean, it sounds like it's. it was more... It was it was not only just a culture shock from your interactions with people that were from Spain. It was also a cultural, you know, a culture shock from everybody else that you met that were outside of Spain too. That were maybe on holiday or something. A lot of immigrants. There's tons of immigrants. Yeah, immigrants. So you have different uh, different areas that were all like Dominican Republic. We're all. Um, people from Mozambique or all people from Romania. It was sort of a strange uh, experience because it was like that. It was very demographically um, separated. And, and what is it? The mission training? Was it MTS mission training school or something? MTC MTC. training center center. That's right. So did they, I mean, uh, did, I guess they taught you Spanish and all that kind of stuff, like to get you oh, prepped. They try to teach you Spanish, but you're not going to learn Spanish in six weeks. You're just, you're not going to do it. Especially when you're surrounded by other people that speak English. Mm-hmm. The way you learn another language is you get dropped out there and you just have to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to start talking to people, listening to them and figuring out what they're saying. That's the only way I could have learned a, a language. So. So how did that, I mean, did you, did you fully learn Spanish or? Yeah, I I learned it pretty good. I mean, I'm not super fluent in it and it's been, what, 10 years since I came back, but yeah, you know, it starts to lose it. But 
when I came back, I worked on a ranch and there was a lot of Mexican workers on the ranch. So I was able to practice quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you said that you, you grew up Mormon and then you kind of, you went on your mission, you, you, you met people from all over the place and then you kind of eventually kind of like got, you know, fell out of, you know, the whole religious thing and it, it, or not being as, you know, as invested, I guess. Right. How did that, how did that kind of, how did you kind of like, like, how did that come to be? Like, did you, did you just decide, you know, organized religions that for me, or did you have like a negative experience or? No, I mean the church and it's, it's if, you know, if you're in Utah, you'd understand the church is, in and of itself, I think it's a good organization. Uh, I just don't think it's uh, called, you know, God's religion. I don't think, honestly, I don't think there's a God, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. That, uh, that's what I always tell people. I never try to talk to people and talk about their religion or yeah. tell them the reasons why I don't believe in religion and stuff because I don't want to. Here's the thing. If I could believe, I would totally and completely choose to believe. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, this is sort of a bad an analogy, an analogy, analogy. But if you could believe in Santa Claus, wouldn't you? I mean, it would be amazing, right? If you could believe in the Easter Bunny, how amazing would Easter time be? You know, um, and that's I know that's a bad analogy, or uh, but it's sort of the same in my mind. It's like if I, I would prefer to believe, and to be honest, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I I hope you know I hope there's life after death, and I hope. There's heaven and all those, you know what I mean? But it's not something I really think about that much because it's... Right. And it's no judgment. I mean, for me, you know, for me, I grew up, you know, you know, staunch Catholic, I would say, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it just kind of like, you know, over the years, it just kind of like, uh, you know, just kind of hit me that. I don't really believe in organized religion specifically because I feel like they're their own governments themselves. And oh, yeah. a it's lot just a form to control people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically, you know, and it, and every single, every single, every single religion that's out there that's organized, I feel is, you know, it's, it's, it's like, um, it's its own government. It's, it's, it's a way to oppress the, the, the lower classes. It's a way and, and, and have those lower classes, you know, not put bread on their tables historically just to be able to, to line the coffers of, of, uh, the, you know, the, of the Cardinals, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> and it's just a way, you know, from, you know, the beginning of, you know, history, it's, you know, especially in the Catholic faith. I mean, it's, it was just, uh, you know, the, the, the Pope and the, uh, the Kings were, you know, working in cahoots to get taxes, you know? And so, and to make sure that, you know, one's to control you on earth, the other ones to control your thoughts, you know, like, yeah, your spiritual and your uh, mental, like it's just two different ways to control you. Right. And so that for me personally, that's, that's the whole reason why, you know, I'm not going to say that I don't believe in a God, right? Uh, I do believe in, in, in a higher power. Um, but I just believe that, oh. that organized religions were created by man to control men. Oh, hundred percent. You know, that's, 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 that's my exactly opinion. My, that's that's my exactly opinion. my opinion as well. And it's not like I want to pull people out of their religion. I don't, you know, if it, if it makes you happy, if it makes your life better. Yeah. If you think that that's, if it works for you, great, great. Go for it. Yeah, I'm not going to try to stop you. I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. Um, because why, why would you try to convince somebody out of what makes them happy? It's like, no, Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense at all. So. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. I feel the exact same way. Like, I think that there's, you know, there's, and I don't know if it's mother earth. I don't know if it's, you know, like, you know, praying to the universe or praying to <laughs> a crystal, whatever, whatever it is that makes people feel centered or whether it's, it's, you know, making sure that they're definitely something there. Yeah. There's there's something there, something there, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's aligning one chakras. I have no idea, but you know, you gotta set out crystals out in the moonlight long enough and then it'll melt. I, uh, 
I'm, I'm the same opinion. I, I know that there's something there. I just can't define it. I haven't been able to like narrow it down or put it in a box. Um, but yeah, there's yeah. something. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So we've talked religion. We've, we've talked family. We've talked, uh, you know, talked about, um, going to crazy places and having like crazy, you know, fish out of water culture shock, like, like you did yeah. over in Spain. Um, actually let's go back to the culture shock. Cause this is really interesting for me. Uh, you know, cause I'm, I'm Hispanic. Um, and you know, I'm from a, I'm, I'm a Hispanic guy from a really small town in South Texas. You are a very white guy from a very small town in Utah. What was that like for you? Like it was crazy. So I'll admit my night, like how much I didn't know is when I got to Spain. Um, and I, I was a stupid kid. I got to Spain and they started talking about all these countries south of the border. And I was like, you mean Mexico? They're like, no, we're talking about Honduras or Dominican Republic or Brazil or Chile. or And I was like, you mean Mexico? I just didn't, it never had clicked in my head. And then, you know, I, I would have uh, companions that were, you know, Ecuadorian, Peruvian, Venezuelan, you know, all these different, and they're comp- each one of them is completely different. And I was like, huh, they are not all Mexico. That so, is hilarious. Yeah, I was I was a dumb kid. <laughs> I'm still learning things, but you know when you never, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know it, and then you're like, oh, I was dumb. Yeah. So we have a lot of those moments. Yeah, I don't, for sure. I don't, but. You know, I, yeah. always, I always like to tell the story that, you know, coming from a really small town, you know, I... And, you know, in, in, in my small town in South Texas, I mean, we were like an hour and a half maybe from the border, right. In South Texas. And, um, you know, growing up, like there was like, you know, five white families and like two black families. There's like two black kids in, in the entire K through 12. There's maybe like, I don't know, like 15 white kids in K through 12. And except for the coaches, except for the coaches that were hired, like hired in, right. That they brought their families in, um, which are few and far between, um, the majority of all of those non non Brown kids were pretty much culturally just like us because their families have been there for generations. Right. So like they knew the slang, they knew, you know, they, they even spoke with kind of like a, kind of like a Spanish accent, you know, a little bit like when they spoke English and stuff like that, like, you know, and I thought the whole world was like that. Like I had no idea. And so for me, for me, the biggest, and then, and then, so I, um, so I was, I was, I was really involved in high school and stuff like that. And like, I got to travel a lot and stuff with uh, like different competitions and stuff. Um, and what's that? Um, so my biggest thing was, it was, um, this is super nerdy, but, uh, it was a national history day competition. And initially, Uh, initially what I wanted to do is I wanted to build, cause I love telling stories just like you. And I also like building stuff. Uh, but I like to do, uh, visual communications so I wanted to work at a museum and I wanted to build museum exhibits. That's awesome. Yeah. That, and would, yeah, that would be satisfying. Yeah. And so, so I, and I did that for a little bit. And, uh, and so I, you know, I made it to nationals and stuff like that. I play, you know, I, I was, I, I was a champion, uh, a state champion in Texas, like for two years and made it to nationals, got over there and then, and then at nationals, I'm and you know, and I made it to like um, the national thing for for student council or whatever it was, like a big like five state regional thing or whatever. And I met all these other kids, and I was like, "Holy shit! Not everybody's Hispanic. <laughs> like, not there's not one Rodriguez here. What what is going on here? Like, I was I I just didn't know. I didn't, it was total culture shock for me. Uh, and then. It's- I, I think all kids should go through that culture shock. Absolutely. Because so you know, otherwise their minds, like, when I was a kid, I just looked back at how much I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. that I didn't know it. 
And oh yeah. Until you go out and see it, you just you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I think kids should experience it. Yeah, and then and then I went through a period where <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I'm gonna share this story. I went through this period, and it was just like this is my probably my senior year. And then so I um so my senior year, I was gonna, I was, I decided, I, I ended up hurting my knee, and so I stayed behind, and I, I almost, I was gonna go to, I was thinking about going to West Point, and then um, decided, you know, uh, you know, since I should rehab my knee, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay close to home, and so I went to um, uh, Texas A&M University Kingsville, uh, where you know, there's, you know, there's probably maybe like seven at that time. This is probably like 7,000 students, right? Uh, probably maybe 8,000, something like that. And so, um, you know, so it, it felt to me like 13th grade. So even, even though I was in college, it was still a lot of the other kids that I had competed against in different like sports and, and like UI, you know, uh, you know, speech, debate, drama, one act play, all that kind of stuff. It was all these other kids that, I mean, I had seen and I knew of them and they all went there to a Kingsville. So it still didn't feel like I was out of my comfort zone. It still felt like very kind of like very like a like a really big high school, right? Yeah. And so I did that for like oh man. Until February. And then in February, I decided to um what they say audition for the Disney College program, right? And so so I went, I got selected. I went to go work for, uh, for, for the mouse. I went to go work for, uh, for, uh, the Walt Disney company in Orlando. I get there. And so at, up until this point, I thought it was like, oh, okay. Not everybody's like me, but it's like the people, like my people, like Hispanic, like, oh, that's a whole different story. Actually, I need to, I need to tell you about, but but it's like uh it's like it's like me and then there's like black people and then like white people right and then that's pretty much it right so it's like hispanics whites blacks like okay cool like like it's like i know where people are i understand what this is about right, right. then i go to i go to orlando and my culture shock when i was there was if you don't know, if you don't, if, if you don't know about like Florida, South Florida, Central Florida, there's a lot of Cubans and there's a lot of Dominicans and there's a hell of a lot of Puerto Ricans. Yeah, and I right. worked with a lot of them at Disney uh-huh. because, you know, that's, you know, people that aren't on the college program, they go and they work there and there's just a lot of non-Mexican Hispanics. Yeah. Dude. It was racking my freaking brain why I couldn't understand their Spanish. Yeah. I got I, to the point where I could tell hearing their, their their accent exactly what country they're from. And the words and the, the things that you were allowed to say in those different countries is completely different. Oh, for completely sure. Different. For sure. Like I said something like in, you know, thinking, oh, well, I'm, you know, I, I, I can speak this, right? So I'm speaking Spanish to them. And then, then I say something that is like horrifically like like extremely like like this is the worst thing you could possibly say to somebody because it was so disrespectful and i'm like yo i just said i wanted to you know get a, a a bottle of water like it was like it was like nothing like no big deal and i totally offended these people or you know the, the puerto ricans or whatever it was just because of the way i said something in spanish and i was like man I felt for like a year, man, I was like total fish out of water. And I felt like so dumb because I thought the only Hispanics that were out there, you know, I felt, I felt there's only Mexican. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I didn't even, you know, you can't even see the difference with the language that when you don't speak it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm brown. They're brown. We should be able to get a, like get along. But these guys hate me. Like, and I have no idea why. And it was like, it was just like this major culture shock within within my own kind of like what what should be quote unquote my community, right? And so like for me, that was kind of a weird situation to be in. Um, awesome. You know, I think those experiences are are priceless. You know, having that. Yeah. Have 
learning session where you realize realize what you don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was it's so so crazy. Yeah, and then and then you know and then for me, fast forward, like you know, growing up, my my dad, my dad is uh, he was. Uh, well, I mean, we're we're fifth generation Texan on both sides, so mm-hmm. we were here eighteen twenty one when it you know when it it was a Spanish territory got got taken over by the Mexicans, and then in eighteen thirty six, uh, you know, the Tejanos came in and you know won the the Republic of Texas, right? right. So our family's been here for ever and ever and ever, and my dad his first language was Spanish and he didn't learn English until he was in third grade. And so, you know, for us, like, you know, you know, he would always say, you know, Oh, you know, you have to have Mexican pride. You know, we're, we're, you know, what we say, puro Mexicano and like, you know, we're, you know, Mexican pride. And this is like, you know, we're the, you know, we're the people and stuff like that. Like, like over the top kind of like we're Mexican kind of thing, like Mexican pride kind of thing, you know, like, I guess he was trying to instill that cultural values in, into us as kids. Uh-huh. And then it's like, and then fast forward, I, I be, I meet a Mexican girl like who is, who's, who's now, you know, who's now my partner and, and, uh, you know, her family moved over here when she was 13. So she was born in Mexico. She has dual citizenship. And, uh, and then I, we took the first trip to Mexico and I'm like, holy shit, I am not Mexican. Like there is nothing about me that is Mexican at all. Like, yep. So it's like experiences like that. Like that's just like, it really make it really almost like shakes you to your core. Like it really fucks with your ego that it's just like, you know, that's exactly what happened to me when I went to Spain and I met all these other people that were religious and was like, huh? Yeah. Eye opener. Yeah. That's so interesting. So, okay. So I know that we've got, uh, you know, we've got about 15 minutes left. Um, I don't want to take up too much time, too much of your time. Cause I know that you have, uh, you know, crazy drawings to go finish, uh, for your next batch of furniture. But, um, yeah. So like what, um, what inspires you, man? Like what, uh, what's like, what have you been working on? What do you, I know you're a tinkerer. I know you, you're in the shop trying to figure out something new and, uh, what can your audience look forward to seeing seeing soon so i've been working on moving from building large tables you know a lot of my tables with desks and whatnot are quite large heavy i'm trying to move into making smaller puzzles uh, puzzle box puzzle boxes puzzle chests things like that that are a little bit smaller um, and easier to ship um, and a little bit more complex i want to make I would like to create something, uh, just better puzzles. So I'm, I'm moving more into the puzzles, less into the furniture. Um, so in the future, that's... And then eventually when my books get out, uh, I'm going to start creating... Each one of my books has pieces of furniture or chests or puzzles or whatever that are in the book that I'm going to start creating those as well. So That is yeah. awesome. Should be exciting. Should be fun. So what? What are these? What like what you mentioned the books earlier? What kind of what kind of books are you are you working on? I know that you're really into sci-fi because you several of your books are like based off of like you know uh, Harry Potter kind of vibe, you know that kind of stuff. And like what what are you into? What do you what do you kind of write? So they're all YA, so they're all young adult books, but they're just in the same category as like Harry Potter or. Um, Percy Jackson, that type of storyline. Um, I've got a few of them written. I've got one I'm actually, it's funny you mentioned Cubans. My publisher's Cuban. Um, oh. And so he's always telling me about South Florida. And yeah. Funny you mentioned that. But um, yeah, so I've, I've got a couple that are fantasy, uh, what's the word, sci fi out in space. And a couple of them that are, you know, mermaids and wizards and that kind of stuff. But That's cool, man. basically the same kind of stuff I like to build tables for anyway. So pirates, you know, all the good stuff. Pirates, wizards. That's it's awesome, a- man. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, you, yeah. you basically really. Basically, the, 
that I wanted to read when I was a kid that weren't there. Yeah. Those are things I'm writing. So that's for awesome. kids, not for adults, but yeah, hopefully that's, adults enjoy them as well. That's great. That's great. That, um, you know, that kind of sounds like, uh, there was a podcast I was listening to with RL Stein and that's pretty much the wow. reason why he, he got into writing was he was just trying to, you know, to try to tell the stories that he wished, you know, were around when he was a kid. So was that on his master class? I think I listened to that same one. I think it was, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's really what inspires me is, is creating a story and then and that's always how I judge my stories, whether they're good enough. You know, I write a book and then I hand it off to somebody and that I don't push them at all to read it. And I always judge how good it is by whether or not they read it, finish it and get back to me. And I, you know, it's, it's very exciting to create a world and then hand it to somebody and lead them through a story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to entertain somebody. It, I, I really like entertaining people, not necessarily right in front of them, but I like entertaining people through yeah. you know, the creations and whatnot. So I love that. I love that. So do you write behind a keyboard or do you write on one of your fancy desks? I just on a keyboard, literally sitting <laughs> in, a, in, a chair, in a banana chair in the corner of my bedroom. It's I, I have to uh, like, sensory deprivation type thing where I put my headphones on and I turn the fan on and I put myself in the most boring corner of the room so that I'm not distracted. And yeah, yeah, no, I can't write at one of my desks. I, I don't own any of my desks. My, my, uh, all of my furniture is gone. I can't afford them. <laughs> <laughs> how much, but, uh, so how much, but, like what are, what are the price ranges for something like that? That's going to be completely custom. So they started off, they were about, first table I ever sold well the first table I sold was to my my friend uh, who made me build it and that was four hundred and fifty dollars I sold that table for mm -hmm. and the next table I sold the one that I didn't trade for a gun sort of a funny story um, it's the one that was based off of wizards you know it had the wand that popped out and I when I posted it it went viral crazy viral and I was just absolutely mind blown that something could get that much attention, you know, that I saw that I, that was probably the video that that roped me into your content, actually. Yeah. So that table, the way I sold that and I hesitate to tell the story, but I'll tell it anyways, because it, it's just such a strange story. I, uh, I I finished I finished the table. My phone was blowing up. You know, when you get a video go viral, my phone was like having seizures. And it would just like die every couple minutes and couldn't keep it charged because anyways. And then all of a sudden I get this phone call and, you know, I answer it and the guy's like, hello, is this David? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, are you the guy with the table? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you live? Uh, you know, he gave me my address and I was like, how do you know I live here? And he's like, is that where you live? And I was like, yes. Two seconds later, ding dong, <laughs> go to the door. There's a guy standing there, and he's got a gun in his pocket. Like I, you can, I can tell he's armed, oh, and he's got his arms crossed in front of him, like a security guard or something. And he looks at me, he looks me up and down. Are you David? I'm like, yeah. And this guy from around the corner steps out from around the corner. He's like, hello, hi. I, I'm calling. I called you about your your table. My wife saw it and she wants it. And I'm like, how did you get my number? I have to this day have no idea how he got my number. And he's like, Yeah, I'd like to buy it. And he comes in, he looks at it. He's like, Is that it? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, All right, bring it to my house tomorrow. And I'm like, Okay. It's like, I live down near Vegas. He gives me his address. And I'm still like, What the hell? So I, I, <laughs> like, I, What I, is I, happening I, right I, now? I, yeah, I, I have no idea how he, how he even got my number or anything. And I uh, throw it in the back of my truck. Me and my brother take it down there. We pull up. It's a beautiful mansion. Beautiful, huge house. And there's a guy in the garden pulling weeds. And he's got guns on him. You know, you can just see him. And I'm like, what the hell am I getting myself into? The guy and who is the guy who's is pulling weeds has guns on him. Yeah, he's got guns on him. You, you can see him. You can see he's got like a gun in his belt and whatnot. And he stands up and he looks at me. He looks me up and down and says, 
Are you David? And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, go in that door. So I'm like, all right. Me and my brother walk in this door of this mansion, on this back door of this mansion. Bro, you were way too trusted, by the way. I don't know. I, they seem like really nice guys. And I walk in this door, and it bleeds into this kitchen. And I turn the corner, and there's a kitchen table, and it is stacked with $100 bills. Like one-foot-tall stacks, probably 200 stacks. And there's these two guys, the guy that wanted to buy the table, and this other guy. And he has guns on him too. And he looks at me and he points at me and he says, go outside. I'm like, okay. So I go outside. Come back. He comes out a couple minutes later, all super nice. He's like, sorry about that. I, I own a casino and we count the money once in a while, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, that makes sense. You know, they have to count the money. And I go in there and super nice guy. I got a, he's very nice. And uh, his wife comes home, and she's all excited to have the table, and she's got this big old, you know those dogs, what are they not? They're not, they're not like a German shepherd. They're like uh A Malinois. Yeah. Like, thing, straight up know. police dog will rip your face off <laughs> if given the right German command. Yeah, yeah, and they're telling me about this dog that, like, if he's given the command, he will just destroy you, and I'm like, oh, great. Oh, great, you know, and I was all worried that they were going to rob me or something. They gave me the money and they're super nice people. And I just, yeah, that was the first table I sold. <laughs> so that was the first one I sold for a lot of money. It was 2,500 bucks. So uh, to me, I was just like, whoa, I can turn this into it. I can make money on this. Like if I start building these tables and I get it online and I, so, yeah. So at some point, uh, so, I, I, so at the end of all this, you get back into the truck you're sitting next yeah. to your brother. My brother's like, what the hell? Like, I'm you like, just look at each other and just like this like quiet sigh of relief going, Yeah, we almost got killed. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we didn't almost get killed. Yeah. Super people, but I thought I was walking in on some kind of drug deal or something. No, the guy owns casinos. I checked him out. Like, he's a completely legit guy. And I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. Like, you got a lot of cash when you do that. So, but yeah. That is wild. I was definitely uh, worried at the moment, especially when he at me and said, go outside. And I was like, oh, what have I seen that I can't unsee? Yeah, exactly. Where? Okay. Where's the interrogation room? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where's the interrogation room? So, yeah. So that was the first one I sold. And then since then, it's just, you know, as my woodworking skills and the mechanics, mechanics get a little bit better and whatnot they've gone up in price um right now they're around ten thousand each so wow Man. but they take a month to build each so so roughly about uh, roughly about how many hours go into each one <sighs> maybe three three or four hundred depending on which ones they are it's a lot of hours it's a month a little over a month each I'm not very fast at building these. And that's what I always tell people. They're like, why do you charge so much? And I'm like, well, how much do you get paid in a month and a half? And they're like, well, this is, and I'm like, yep, we charge the same amount. You're just not selling tables. They're like, oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what people are paying, paying for is the craftsmanship, man. These things are going to be willed down to their, you know, to their kids. I would love to, I would love to someday. uh, So I went to the Getty. Um, museum down in California. This was right about the time that I started building tables. And they had these pieces of furniture and there are just beautiful pieces of furniture in this museum and they have hidden compartments and whatnot in them and they have, you know, the little secret openings and the the secretary desk type things. And I just looked at it and I was so inspired. And then about that same time I saw National Treasure and they had the the resolute desks. Mm-hmm. You know, and you pull out the drawers and it would click and the little glides were like a little combination lock and all the things. And I was just absolutely like, I want to build something like that. Something that can absolutely entertain people and can be like a work of art that's functional. That You know, because uh, multiple of my brothers are artists. They're super good painters. And that's always sort of what I wanted to do is work with my hands and create something that would last and that people would enjoy. But 
the problem with being a painter nowadays is painters are a dime a dozen. There are so many super high, uh, super, you know, gifted painters out there that they can't make a living selling their paintings. It's super rare, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's so many good painters and artists out there. And I was, we were sitting there in that room and the coffee table, you know, was sitting there in the center of the first coffee table I built. And I started looking around, you know, my brother's paintings are all over the walls. And I'm like, there's no way that you, unless you create a new form of painting, you know, like they have a the different style. A new style, exactly. They have the Jackson Pollocks and they have the all the different styles that but once you've made that style you you can't be the second person to do that style you know Manet, the the guy after Manet that did his whatever style he did he's not as never going to be as famous as Manet, you know right or Rembrandt or you know and so i started looking at all his paintings and i realized that the center of the the room was the coffee table and it was this sort of brought me back and i was like okay this is the center like I could make, I could make a niche here. And so that was just another um, realization I had that the center of the room, where people sit around when they're socializing and stuff like that, like I could make, you know, I could make something special out of that piece of furniture to where I could entertain people and it would be considered art. Um, so that was another realization I had yeah. in my course. It doesn't have to be hanging on a wall with uh, with a light pointed yeah. at it to be art. Exactly, exactly. And not only that, if you're going to become an artist, and you know they always say the starving artist, and there's a reason that you know a lot of you know a lot of uh, very very famous um, artists died broke. You know, and a lot of their stuff never sold until after they died. But um, to make money and be an artist at the same time is such a rare. Thing. It's such a rare treat, um, and I don't know if I'm considered a high-end artist or anything like that, but I really enjoy it. I consider it art, and I'm able to make a living off of it, and I feel super fortunate because there's not a lot of people that can do that same thing. Yeah. you know, A lot of people have to do that on their weekends and during their free time, and I get to do it every day, all day long. So. That's amazing, man. You're living the dream. I'm living the dream. I really am. Pretty, pretty satisfying. That's great. So we are we are just at an hour, and um, I always like to finish the podcast with kind of like a final thought, right? Okay. A final question. Um, the kind of uh, you know that if there is a uh, if there's a young man out there that is trying to figure out and find direction, and you know maybe. <clears throat> maybe he didn't grow up with uh, with that guidance counselor trying to like point him in the right direction, right? Or the wrong direction in your case, right? Um, and they they have an interest in working with their hands. They have an interest in in art and in sculpt or sculpture or or paint or or any of the arts. Um, and they want to do this full time. What would you tell them? I would tell them that before they start to go and study all the people. So somebody uh, told me once that never take advice from anybody unless they are one, a professional in their field, and two, they have your best interest. So I would, first of all, I would find everybody that's a professional in the field that they want to get into, the thing that they want to do, and study those people. Figure out exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it, how it's working for them, Watch all their, you know, the videos where they talk about how they got in, you know, to doing what they're doing, where they messed up, what mistakes they made, what things they wish they hadn't done, what they would have told themselves. So I would do I would say that. And then number two, I would say, if you truly love whatever you're wanting to do, and I said this earlier, if you really actually enjoy it, if you love it and enjoy it, somebody else, if not a lot of other people are also going to enjoy that same thing. And the power of the internet is that you can find those people. You can find those people. They might not even be in your state, but you can find them at the couple clicks of a button. So one, figure out exactly the path that you need to do to make, you know, to become what you want to be by studying people who have already done it. And then two, use the internet to find the people who love what you love. 
So those are the two things I would say. And that is some clever hardwood right there. Some clever hardwood. That's that right. Some clever hardwood. David, clever it has been fantastic to, to meet you in person today. I've been following you for a while. Um, you're, you're so much better uh, in person than you are just, you know, <laughs> on, on your videos. Um, you just seem like a really great guy, really down to earth. And I, I am so appreciative of your time and, and, uh, and the stories that you, you came here to tell. I appreciate you having me on. That was, uh, it was nice. It was nice talking to somebody that's, that's also excited about life and excited about, you know, this kind of stuff too. So yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. And thank you so much for listening to the Learning Man podcast. My name is Omar Cantu. I could not thank you enough for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like some more of that content, we're going to be dropping new episodes every Friday. So make sure and hit that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast and write us a review because it really does help the channel. Share what topic you want to tackle next or maybe the name of a guest that you want to hear from. Thank you again for joining in this journey. It means so much to me.